Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 22 of the Delgado Podcast, a show featuring academics, authors, artists, and people who challenge the way we think and how to take action. So a few months ago, I had an opportunity to take a fascinating course on evangelism and ways to humbly present the gospel on seminarynow.com. And in that class, Dr. James Chung discusses his fascinating PhD research, studying how different generations think about spirituality and some of the key questions that they ask, like, what is truth or what is real? And Dr. Chung shares why these gateway questions are super important to answer and ways that Christians can approach these very important topics. I was so moved by the course and his fantastic instruction that I reached out to Dr. Chung afterward to learn more about his ministry work, his books, and also how he determined his calling. So when we got together to record, originally I was going to chat with him a little bit about his academic background and focus in on his PhD research on generational views of spirituality. But as we got talking, the conversation just organically moved into a bunch of other areas. So I ended up breaking up this conversation into two distinct podcasts. In today's episode, we're going to learn from Dr. Chung about the importance of having a growth mindset and how he's always working to improve his teaching and communication skills. He talks about how he determined his calling to ministry, why he likes having a number of mentors in his life. He shares what his dad taught him about fatherhood. And we talk about his academic journey from studying at MIT to later pursuing seminary at Gordon-Conwell and then later PhD work at Fuller Theological Seminary. I had an absolute blast chatting with Dr. Chung and getting to know him. Here's our conversation. Um, James, so... I found you by taking your course on Seminary Now, and I wanted to ask you, like, how long have you been teaching and presenting? Because you were like, you are dynamic. And then I went and looked you up on YouTube and saw a bunch of other things you've done in live speeches. And so, first of all, I just want to like let you know that like, I think you're a dynamic speaker. Uh, and I wanted to hear like a little bit about your experience. <laughs> I wanted to hear a little bit more about your, like your your craft of teaching, how you've like improved on that. And then also a little bit about your academic and spiritual journey. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to. Uh, I guess I'll tackle the first thing first. Um, well, thanks. That's a, that's a huge compliment. Uh, and uh, thank, thankful to Jesus. We gotta keep that keep that humble. Um, no, no, uh, and uh, probably the first real like formal training came around. Uh, I, I went to Gordon Conwell for seminary, and I got to learn under Haddon Robinson. You know, the silver tongue himself. He um, wrote like the textbook on biblical preaching, and he was the first to really just challenge us to to preach without notes. So we, you know, our first kind of thing in, and he's making us preach without notes. And then what he would do was record the talk as we were giving it in class, and then give commentary about like he's in the back room with a microphone in real time, comment what? comments about your talk. So good and so helpful and so unnerving yes. and so helpful. And since then, um, just took that and just kept trying to to grow as a a speaker and teacher from the training there and to teach without notes. Probably the other thing was last sabbatical that I took. I took a comedy class here in Los Angeles, and um, it's a stand-up comedy class. They um, Whoopi Goldberg is an alumni. Uh, and they had some pretty strong people. There, there were some industry types that are like I, my partner was Gary Busey's wife, you know that kind of stuff. Uh, it was so frightening, you know, to do like a one-minute three-joke set in front of people to do some of the comedy stuff. But I felt like it was well, 
if this is all it did, this it did its job was it made preaching so much easier because nothing's more frightening <laughs> than trying to get a room full of people to laugh. And we didn't have, you know, I'm the only Christian by far in that room. They're always trying to get me to cuss or to say something saucy in the room. Um, and so to try to not even use, you know, use clean language and try to tell a joke in a way that would make people laugh. It's so frightening and so much pressure that uh, preaching and teaching comes a lot easier now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that, 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 that's there. The academic background, I, I, I've got my MDiv from Gordon Conwell. I have a doctor of ministry from Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, and do some, I got to teach courses both at Bethel, well, I taught courses at Bethel on evangelism and leadership uh, seminary when they had a branch in San Diego. And um, I'll be teaching a class in the fall on evangelism at Fuller for the demon program. Sorry, oh, for wow. The, for the, for in May, not the fall, in May. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I love like kind of your growth mindset. Like you're always like refining your communication skills, like even taking that class, like doing something as unnerving to like, I'm going to take a comedy class to like learn how to do this, like stepping out of your element and like pushing yourself in that way. Oh, super fun. Yeah. And now like since we're in COVID, that's, it's this new level of trying to learn how to teach. And it's funny. I've actually gone back during COVID to writing things out because I can use my computer screen as a teleprompter. And so now just trying to figure out different styles of teaching online and it, it's been tricky trying to figure out how to do that. I don't think you have the same freedom or the same latitude. You got to keep things a lot tighter. And so I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I'm trying to do what you're saying. I'm not always great at it, but I, I am trying to learn. <laughs> I'm curious, like, yeah, during COVID, because um, we're all like on video calls all the time, what are some things keep attention? Because it's really hard right now. Like my kids, they're on Zoom all day in class. And I see my kids, like my, my son yesterday, I walked over, he was on the floor, laying down on the carpet, just like sprawled out, just like exhausted from being on Zoom. Sure. And so it's really hard for students to be focused all day and really, really hard on the teacher who's having to talk all the time and try to keep students active. Yeah. And so I'm kind of curious, like, as you've been like teaching and working on your own communication during COVID-19 and how do I best present during this time? Have there been any like hacks or things you've learned, picked up to kind of help with your communication? Oh, definitely. And if you, you want to learn more, um, in a varsity, we have a, a, you know, our whole ministry, our whole nationwide ministry went online, right? When the pandemic struck. Now some students are back, some aren't. But um, if you want to learn more, I believe it's inniversity.org. Uh, where is it? <laughs> it should be on the slash online. <laughs> I believe university.org slash online should get you to a place where you could see, like, we just developed a lot of stuff for you to, like, have better Zoom meetings and how to do spiritual gatherings online. Um, and we've actually seen God move really powerfully, even, like, healing and prayer ministry online, um, oh. that kind of stuff. Um, if there's tips, um, you know, there's lots there. We use Zoom primarily uh, in, within university, and that gives us some options. And I think the main thing is... As hard as, as it is to listen to a talking head in person, you know, uh, it, it's much more difficult online. And so we are liberal use of the breakout button. So that's just ask a question, break people off. If you have a group of 30 to 50, Zoom allows you to just randomly put people in groups of three and then randomly bring them back. It's just great. Like you don't have to call people back and wait five mm -hmm. minutes to get people back to the main room. They're just 
automatically kind of like Star Trek, the, tr- the transporter room, you're brought back, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, and then, so breakout rooms, liberal use of the chat to get response. Um, so even, it's been powerful to do listening, prayer, or responses to talks, and then have a question that you put out and just have people mm. put up things in the chat. That's been helpful to have a sense of community. Um, but just trying not trying to limit someone talking for a long time and uh, pieces, bits. It's easier to bring in clips or video or other kinds of things. Finding also, and here's the other, maybe the other one that might be counterintuitive, is we started off the, the shift with a lot of our folks creating like professional level worship videos and things that we thought would help engage. Yeah. And I think we're finding more as this pandemic continues. Um, that stuff has actually has less draw. They can look it up. It's been it's been cool, but I've seen people go back to just person on guitar. Mm. Uh, you know, just more going back to more analog, less professional, more real, authentic. And so it's not as profesh, but it's it is something where people are students. Everyone mutes because you can, you don't get the sync. You can't sync the singing but you can still have the person leading and then invite them to worship as they will. So we're, we're trying a few things, but trying to keep it as interactive as possible is, is helpful. Yeah, that that's really cool. I love how, um, yeah, just hearing about how you're all testing to see what works best, trying out breakout rooms, getting the chat going and trying to foster community during this really difficult time. It's super hard. It's really, really hard. It is. And to have then a focus, if we create the spiritual spaces in the same way, so instead of just seeing our gatherings as information passing or even coaching, we, we are pretty deliberate in trying to create spaces where people can experience God. And how do you, how do, you do that in explicit ways? And um, there have been times, powerful times. We just, we sit in silence or we might lead them through some prayers, like Ignatian style prayer type things where we're allowing their imagination to inform some of the leadership of their prayer. And then say, like, what did you hear from God? And have, mm. why don't you put that up in the chat? Those times have been, like, probably the most profound or the most meaningful when uh, they're just describing. They might even describe their their um, how they're feeling. Like, I'm in tears right now. This is what I'm feeling. Mm. And it sort of allows you to, to be in a shared space spiritually. I think that's what's most important. Communal connections are important, but being in a shared yeah. space where... Um, like uh, spiritual relationships are supercharged right there. So if, if there's ways that we can keep explicitly making spiritual spaces where we're making connections with each other and through the teaching, um, finding those to be pretty powerful. Have you found like during this time, as you've been like chatting with people one-on-one that you're having more like deep conversations right now versus being in person. And the reason why I say that is because like I noticed at work, uh-huh. My work environment has always been open, like very, very open. So if I'm chatting with someone, everyone can hear it. But now that I'm home, I'm like in a room and I'm very much alone. I'm talking to someone else who's also in a room. And I'm I finding see. like I'm having some deeper conversation. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, it's very fascinating. I didn't expect yeah. it. But I'm curious, like from your perspective, on the, from a church level. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, I probably have less uh, less experience because Zoom, the pandemic sort of put I have a very similar schedule. I'm a national leader in a in a dispersed movement. So a lot of my meetings are online anyway. So mm-hmm. I can what what I have noticed with my friendships in the pandemic 
is it uh, <laughs> I feel bad for those on the other side of this so if you're listening I'm sorry if I if I haven't reached out to you but there is a way that the pandemic has made my more important or my closer relationships more front and center and sort of the ones that are more like weaker ties further back so cuz you have to take intentionality to meet anybody these days you're not running into them at the at the water cooler or you're not running into them over the coffee machine it's or after service, you're not doing any of that stuff. So if you meet with someone, you have to like say, hey, do you want to meet? And that adds this extra, mm-hmm. if there is a depth, it's because you're being intentional. And so like one of my best friends, we, you know, we meet once a month to confess. It's, he's my confessor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that started, that would happen before the pandemic, but that's taken on another weight. And then other rhythms of other either ministry partners or friends that just keep me spiritually vibrant. I've been wanting to put them on the schedule more. And so there, there, there's more intentionality maybe to the relationships um, and finding that that has led to depth. Oh, I think it's interesting that you have like some deep connections, like at the level of confessor level to just, yeah. you, you have that like a, a normal routine for yourself. I need it. You know, I, I've, I have a spiritual director that I meet with pretty rarely, like twice a year. Um, and then I have another friend, um, the co-author of our latest book. Uh, we just kept meeting after our book was written. Um, and that's been a lifeline because he's a, mm. a pastor in a church, a large sized church. And for us to keep thinking like, God, what are you doing in this time? And, you know, what does revival look like in this time? It's just someone that you can be free. You know, they're not going to judge you on the, mm. on the and stoke the dreams that God's putting in both of our hearts. So I've got spiritual director then like a ministry dreamer type and then my confessor who just gets to hear <laughs> everything those, those are those are brutal but we've been friends for a long time and that's also helped us i maybe so maybe to say uh i like bobby clinton work i i studied <laughs> him at fuller and you know in i'm in my 40s now and you just can't have one mentor, like in your 20s, you could have one mentor who sort of covers most of your stuff, like your discipleship and your leadership. And, and now, like I'm in my 40s, I actually need relationships, different mentoring slash either peer or real mentor relationships that get different aspects. So I just started a leadership mentor. I just called up an old oh. mentor and said, can we start meeting again? Because I'm in a season where I can use more thinking about how I'm wired and where the Lord's leading. And he's, um, I think he's 20, 25 years older than me. And he's like, oh yeah, let's do that. So um, different seasons, different relationships will have a higher weight than others. But I I have found that if I don't do that, I'm sort of setting myself up to just fall. <laughs> Bobby Clinton says, I think only one in three leaders like end well, <laughs> you know, they finish well is his language. Only one in three leaders finish well. and you're just looking wow. at the news and looking at everything out there. Like, I don't want to be another statistic as a ministry leader. And I'm more importantly, the positive side. I want to live like a fruitful kingdom life and not have like all these blind spots <laughs> in my faith and in my character or as a dad. So um, I just need lots of these kinds of input and people I can be honest with so that I don't end up developing like this huge shadow side that ends up like taking over like in your 40s and 50s mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. exactly uh, so try and i'm not <laughs> not successful i know that sounds like it that sounds really cool in this in theory you know it, it just yeah i'm a work in progress just like in 
I love um, how intentional you are, even about thinking through those like those areas that you want to grow in or improve on. Like you just mentioned leadership. So I'm curious, like, what were some of those buckets you've kind of identified for yourself? And then how did you begin to think about who would be a good guide to kind of chat with about those different topics? Because I think a lot of people are listening in going, oh, I don't even have a mentor. I never even thought out a mentor. What does that relationship look like? How does that even start? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm a, for those of your listeners who are Myers-Briggs people, like I'm an ENFP, right? So I, obviously, ooh, that's shiny. Let's chase that, uh, that kind of mentality. So to say that I had this system, you know, obviously for someone like me, it's going to be more spontaneous or organic or something that comes up that way. So um, usually it's like a need in my life. Like, oh, I'm I'm realizing this sin's got a hold on me. I need to start confessing. <laughs> and then usually there's some like a book or some other confirming thing that just goes like, you better act on that, or that's gonna become a problem. Um, that's usually how these things could go. So the the buckets that I shared, the people that I shared so far are the buckets that sort of mm. created a need and has kept on sort of filling that. Um leadership. Like the last one, the leadership mentor, it's just someone who's known me um, since pretty much my early days on staff. I've been on staff for 25 years. Mm. so And he's been instrumental. I think he and another person in university, who's still with university, both of these men are, I wouldn't have been with this organization this long. Um, there's been so many, there's been a lot of opportunity. Thank God for that. But those two folks have kept me along. They know me. They kept inviting me to the next thing. So it was sort of an easy, this this mentor of mine had retired. He used to be also in national leadership at the university, but now is serving more as a leadership coach anyway. I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to call up this brother, Paul Tokunaga. He's amazing. Um, and he's he specializes. He wrote a book on Asian American leadership development. So called Invitation to Lead. Um, so it's that was sort of an easy call. And we already, there's already relationship there. That's that's probably more. There are times when I'll like reach out for a like a moment, or if there's somebody that I think could help, or uh, you could even get the mentoring through podcasts or books. I I just find books are yeah. like great, right? Like if you don't want to listen to their whole life story all the time, here's someone who's taken the time to write their best learning in a way that you could digest in ten to fifteen hours. You know how great. Uh, there are places where I might pop into somebody who might have something that can help me. Um, so I, I, I just like to take it in. I, I just feel like if I stop learning, I will stop growing. And if I stop growing, I'm setting myself up for a fall. <laughs> so uh, it's more of that and different interests hit me at different times. Yeah. yeah. You're very self-aware too. Are you, do you like journal? Like how are, like, like you're talking about like these certain things are kind of bubbling up. So how are you kind of staying in tune, like both spiritually and kind of mentally about things that are kind of impacting you. Yeah, on top of the rhythms that I mentioned with the confessor and my friends. Um, yeah, I do journal often. <laughs> I don't, I'm not super religious. Like I don't journal every night or pull out a bullet. I don't bullet journal. Um, usually, actually, yeah, this is why I can't make my journal public ever in life. Is because I usually go to it when I'm like distraught or mad at somebody, you know, or uh, I'm feeling about my children. And so it's just this dumping ground of like, I just need to figure, sort of write it out. And I do find when I write it out, 
it's so it just helps right it's mm-hmm. it becomes this process for me to like okay 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 most of that's my fault <laughs> i said this you know and started to work that through uh with god it's just a way for me to be really really i just yeah i'm following the psalms just get real honest right like break the teeth of the the infant type of thing <laughs> just writing imprecatory kinds of <laughs> language uh, 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 down on a journal so it, yeah I I'm tr- I try. I'm not always fully, but um, I do think did some self awareness. I believe who is it? Either Bobby McLean, somebody said that self awareness is the greatest tool you have for your own leadership development. Um, and I've sort of taken that to heart. I I try because you know most of the time I'm in conflict is my fault. At least I've contributed it to it in some way. If I can at least own my contribution to it. I could probably find my way forward. And that's all led by his spirit, right? That's not mm-hmm. figuring things out per se. It's These are real intentional times to say, okay, God. Now, after you just let it all out, you're like, okay, God, what do you want to say? Usually you're in a better place to hear after you get the stuff out. Mm. Uh, what's great about that is my wife is really good about letting me know what she thinks about me. <laughs> Any sort of area, right? Mine too. But she, right? she keeps me in check. So I have like, I have the spirit keeping me in check. And my wife is there watching me, pointing out things like, hey, you need to be more present. And I'm like, what? I'm here. Like, I'm at home 24 7. What do you mean? It's like, well, when (laughs) we're, you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? But she's good. She's good. And then I had to watch my reaction to it and like, oh, why did I react that way or think that way or make up that story in my head about what, you know, she's, she wants the best for me. She loves me and she's going to point out things. She doesn't let things brew. She like, I'm I'm the kind of person I like like I'll just like hold it in because I want to avoid conflict. Right. She's like she she doesn't want to hold anything in. She just tells me immediately if something's bothering her, which is awesome. Yeah. But I'm like so sensitive, I like break down, like falling mm-hmm. apart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Our family, you know, we're we're all Korean, uh, and my wife grew up in Korea until she was third fourteen. So it's it's like the kimchi fire is live in this house. No one holds back on emotions. No one's afraid of conflict. So you get feedback in real time and the kids need to learn. Yeah, my kids are super lippy. That's our fault. We raised them that way. (laughs) But they let us know where they are. So I hear that. And the feedback's so good. Right? Yeah, that's that's good. It's good to have, um, like the way we raise our kids, like we want them to express themselves. So we're always asking their opinions why did they feel that way when i'm sharing something what they want them to do i'm trying to, to explain to them why i'm asking them to do that to give them context obviously there's sometimes where it's like it's because i said so but a lot of times i try to give them like here's why i think this is better for you to go this way i wanted to ask you about your your calling to ministry maybe i'll try to make a long story short um but it's basically uh, i went to it, it's it's apropos i'm not trying to, to, to brag but I went to MIT. So the idea wasn't to be in ministry at all when I went to college. Uh, I had the dream of sort of consumer electronics, sort of what Steve Jobs kind of did was get into that and sort of make a, a nest egg and then uh, retire into teaching in the inner city since I went to inner city school. So that was that, the idea behind that. Um, it happened. It was uh, for me, it was like an experience that happened. Um, I felt so then my freshman year in college, I joined a fraternity and really fell away from Jesus. It was it was a bad scene of dancing on tables and swallowing live goldfish, you know, that whole that whole biz. <laughs> Coming back to Jesus um and 
I'm at a retreat at my church my sophomore year and um, Korean church Saturday night. So, you know, the prayer is loud and heavy and I get the sense that God wants to tell me something. So I go up into my um, room up uh, to a quiet room upstairs. And I say, okay, Lord, what do you have for me? And I see the word ministry flash before my eyes. And I understood that to mean full-time vocational ministry. And I'm like, oh, Lord, no, 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 no. That is not why I came here. That, that is not what we're doing. And I see the word ministry flash before my eyes again and understand that to mean like this is a call. And so then I go, okay, well, Lord, if that's you, uh, you know, you're going to affirm that. You're going to confirm that with somebody. Somebody's going to tell me today that I'm supposed to go into ministry, you know, so that's. Um, so, you know, that's the prayer. I go back down and then sort yeah. of later that evening, um, a, a senior who's a leader in our church ministry uh, at Wellesley College sort of came up to me and said, James, you know, have you ever thought about full-time ministry? Because I think you'd be really good at it. And I went, no, who told you to say that? And she just goes, <laughs> you know, without any kind of hesitation. Well, I just felt like God was telling me to tell you that. And I just went, oh, you're kidding. So, wow. I went back to tell my dad, I called my dad getting home on a Sunday and I go, I think I'm, I got this call to ministry. I'm thinking of changing majors. What do you think? Yeah. And my, what I remember my dad saying was like, give it a week. And if you still feel like God's calling you to it, then go for it. Right. So really? I, I just hear like openness and blessing. What my dad goes through is the same thing. So then I am my father, I am my, my father's son. Right. So then he gets off the phone and he's freaking out. And he's going to God. He's a devout Christian man, just devoutly following the Lord. He goes, I did not send my son to go to MIT. Right. So he to go to ministry, right. And just is all out praying, Lord, change his call, change his mind. Every single day. <laughs> Till Wednesday is what he said. And what happened then on Wednesday was he's praying earnestly, trying to get him to change my mind. And he hears God ask him like a, this question. He hears God ask him. Whose son is he? Is he yours or is he mine? Mm. Right? Just punching my Asian father, Korean dad in the face spiritually. And he, you know, my dad, this is a testament to who he is. He goes, well, Lord, after just much consideration, of course he's yours. Of course he's yours. Mm. And so then the next Sunday, I, I go like, I feel called to it. And he goes, okay. And he just gives me his blessing. And really from wow. there. I didn't hear this story, his backstory, until like years later from that point. Like I think eight to ten years after that, he goes into the pastorate after me, right? And so then it's this place where he's asking me for advice for his seminary classes. I go, Dad, stop asking me for advice. You're freaking me out. Um, so he's leading this what we call a 1.5 generation ministry. So like people here in America who are steeped in Korean culture probably came over as um, uh, teenagers. And he's leading a youth and college ministry of Korean speaking, basically expats to here, to America. Um, and he's invited me to speak through a translator because my Korean's terrible. And then he's, but he's sharing this story for the first time in front as he's introducing oh, me to speak. Wow. <laughs> so, and I know enough Korean to. You never heard that story. You never heard that story that before. Point. I was like, what, 24, 5, 6 at that point? And I just, uh, so maybe, yeah, five, like five, six years later, and I just, I'm weeping as I'm going up to the, to the, to the lectern. Cause, um, just my dad, he's such a man of faith. If, if I'm half the man my dad is when I'm his mm. age, my life would be a success. And mm. he's really, 
uh, sort of, the, and you didn't ask this, but the, we're, he's fourth generation spiritual descendant of the Pyongyang revivals. Um, and I'm, I'm fifth generation then. And that's, I just, we just, both my dad and I just learned this story about our history and family history spiritually, but we're connected to those revivals and um, sort of makes sense why my dad would be so faithful. Yep, but that story is for another time. Wow, that's a that's a what a beautiful story. That's that's so powerful. Like you just said something about that was very powerful too. That you know, if I could be half the man my dad was, what would be some things that he taught you? Because you're a father now, what would be some things that he taught you as a father and as a as a spiritual man of God that you've like taken on and adapted to your own fatherhood? There's a a bunch of things there. My dad pro- was a pretty a quote unquote westernized Americanized Korean father for someone who immigrated here after college then he he took college again at the University of Arkansas of all places you know imagine this Korean immigrant uh and he has stories of shooting bullfrogs in in, in swamp type of thing and having a blast I'm like okay um, <laughs> but he raised us similarly to speak our minds I think when asked about his my mom and dad were having a fight uh argument not 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 a meme, but just disagreement. This was a, a meal at my college graduation. So my family's out, my parents are fighting and about how they raised us, just sort of going back and forth. And my mom says, you raised them with too much freedom, is what my mom says, because uh, we were very lippy and disrespectful <laughs> growing up. And my dad says, but look at how responsible they are. When they say they do, they're going to do something, they do it, right? And it just was this, oh, dad, you're so Jedi. Hmm. Um, he let us talk back. He encouraged a conversation about things we disagree with. In the end, though, if there was a decision made, if we didn't change his mind, it was abided. So there was never a sneaking out of the house. It was a talk things out and try to change his mind. And if not, we're there. So he raised us to be like people of our word. And to speak it as well as to honor it if we say we're going to do something. That's a huge gift. My dad's a, a man of integrity and he wanted us to have it, but it wasn't like a rigid integrity. It was a very soft relational one. Um, you just didn't want to bum your dad out. And so gave us that. And then his piety to this day, my mom and dad pray at five o'clock in the morning at church mm-hmm. during COVID. They got the keys to the church. They're the only ones wow. that get to go, but they go. And they, they're not pastors. You know, they're not on staff. They just know that praying every day is not only good for the church, it's good for them. Mm. And mm. they love the local church. <laughs> they would love for me to leave the parachurch, honestly, right? My dad being a Presbyterian pastor and I'm ordained vineyard. Yeah, He likes to tease me a lot, calls me Miracle Boy all the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, he's a, he would love for me to be a pastor of a local church. He loves the local church. And would just has given so much of his life as an elder and then a second career pastor to the life of the church. And without idealism, doesn't he never leaves it thick or thin. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that's what a gift. He's so loyalty to communities. And I think I'm, I'm wired the same way. And part of that is just like, no church is going to meet all our needs. That's a crazy expectation to have. So, I just come to Sunday. I'm. I don't. I don't have a demand that it feed me. That's sort of. I've killed. I. I try to live what we write. Like I've killed my expectations. I'm raising expectancy. I'm here because 
It's a discipline to stay connected to this community, even online. And Lord, you'll do something with that. And honestly, that's helped me so much because I had my darker days where I'd just be like, I can't believe that guy said that. Or, you know, I can't <laughs> believe this. What is that? We're singing the same songs from 30 years ago. You know, I could go into that zone. <laughs> and my father, he's, he lives just a mile away now. So I see him mm. still seeing a bunch. It's just, I've taken on more of his temperament and said, love, love isn't, you don't love perfect things. You just love because you're called to and stay and help. Uh, so I think those are things that finally in my 40s, I'm embracing more rather than trying to fight everything and asking God what he wants to do and not take up battles that are beyond what he wants me to take up. Mm, that's beautiful. How how is he as a husband and how has like how did he model like being a husband and how did that impact you? Oh, what a huge gift. And no, no, I feel I used to feel bad. So my mom and dad growing up, my mom worked at the post office night shift. So I really didn't see her at all uh, until the weekends. So it was my dad who provided the emotional support mm. and presence. And that's probably why we're so tight. Um and then add though, so I you I rarely saw them together, right? Growing up. And then when they were together, they went to church together because they were always serving at church, both of them. Um, so I saw them by proxy. Now they when they my mom retired from the post office, they moved down to LA to be closer to us. And they've been here for about well, how old's my daughter? Six. So about five years. They've been here. Um and they're like it's like they're dating again. They're like always together and they're having a blast. <laughs> And they're laughing at each other. And sure, they have the moments where they pick on each other, but they clearly like being together. It's really fun. Okay, so we're going to stop right here. And we'll continue our conversation next time with Dr. Chung as he shares insights into how different generations think about spirituality and the key questions that Christians should know how to answer. Dr. James Chung serves as Vice President of Strategy and Innovation, overseeing evangelism, discipleship, multi-ethnic initiatives, and the Creative Labs at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. He's also an ordained minister and an author of several books, including True Story, A Christianity Worth Believing, and a follow-up book entitled Real Life, A Christianity Worth Living Out. Dr. Chung speaks frequently at campuses, churches, seminaries, and I got to tell you, you got to watch his presentations. He's a fantastic teacher, very engaging, Look him up on YouTube. Um, I love watching him teach. His work has been featured all over the place, including Christianity Today, Leadership Journal, Outreach Magazine, and ExploreGod.com. And if you found today's show helpful, please let us know. You can reach out anytime on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube at Delgado Podcast. You can also find today's show notes, uh, the video, and podcast at the blog over at MikeDelgado.org. And I would love if you can rate this show on iTunes. Your vote can help this show get more visibility. Thank you so much. Take care, and we'll chat more next time.